Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We're back for another edition of Nobody Told Me That, and I love having my friends on. I have one here. It's Andre Sheridan. What's up, Andre? Hey there. How are you? I am good. I'm so thrilled. It's so nice to see your face. It's nice to see a friendly face, actually, because of this quarantine thing. I know. I can't (laughs) wait to get out of the house and just hug people. But then, you know, I've got to figure out how to do it with six feet apart in between us, you know? Yeah, you know, I think we're just going to have to, like, wrap ourselves in saran wrap to go in for those hugs. I think that's the way to do it now. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) So, Andre, if you don't know, Andre is my go-to EagleSoft person. And whenever, if you've ever heard me speak, if you've heard me speak recently, you have heard about Andre because I always give his group out. I always give Dana Johnson's Navoni group out, and I always give Andre's EagleSoft field guide name out because it's the bomb. I mean, if you're not on it, you need to be on it. And we're going to, we're going to find out why, but Andre, you are, you were a Patterson trainer, an EagleSoft trainer, right? Worked for Patterson for a while and then you retired. And then dentistry is the worst mafia ever because what did they do? They pulled you back in, right? That's it. Every time I think I can get out of it. So this, and it's funny when the coronavirus hit, I updated some of my slide decks and I thought about it, you know, so when I got into dentistry, which was 30 years ago, I got out again after 9-11 and got back in. (laughs) Then I got out again when I retired and now I'm back in it again. So yeah, it just keeps pulling me back in, you know. You know, for the stability of the industry, you just need to never try to get out again because something happens, right? Every time you try to leave. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. So so let's keep you in dentistry and I think we're all going to be better for it. So you were a, a trainer, you tried to retire, now you're back in now, but you're not actually training, training now. What are you doing, Andre? So when the Eaglesaw Field Guide started, it started because when I when I retired from Patterson in 2016, a lot of people who I'd worked with in the past said, you know, is there any way I can keep in touch with you? So I started the group with about 35 people, uh, and this was the teammates from all all parts of the office. And I said, here's a group, you guys, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer, but you can talk amongst yourselves. Well, that group turned into 9,000 people. <laughs> um, and what it's done is it's actually gave me some, some different opportunities to do what I love best, which is getting out and speaking. So I can mix some of the things that I learned in dentistry, some of the things I learned in customer service training, some, some of the things I, I've, I've taught in um, team building all together to do these events. And now I'm on the road for, you know, prior to, uh, to this, I was on the road probably about 50 weeks a year doing these events. And that's what I really love. And that's why I can't ever think that I'll be retired. I'll be in a nursing home trying to teach the other people there about dentistry. You know, <laughs> They're like, what? Progress notes? What are you talking about? Where's my medication? <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so when you, you were in uh, Pennsylvania, right? Where, what part of Pennsylvania? So I live just south 
uh, Philadelphia. I live on the Pennsylvania Delaware border. I like to say I'm, I'm two and a half hours to Manhattan, two and a half hours to Washington D.C., an hour to Atlantic City, and eight hours to Pittsburgh. You know? Oh my God! I, <laughs> or five, yeah. five and a half hours. Yeah. Isn't it wild? Like Pittsburgh is part of Pennsylvania, but it's like it's it might as well be Ohio. I mean, for that. Yeah, it's another state as far as I'm yeah. concerned. It's such a beautiful city, though. I really I do enjoy it when I go to Pittsburgh. They've really kind of had a renaissance, right? Oh yeah. So so you are <laughs> you're two hours outside of. New York and all of the virus stuff. And how have you been keeping safe? How's it going in, uh, you know, Shea Sheridan? <laughs> well, you know, I, I haven't left the house really in theory since March 17th. You wow. know? So, um, so about a month now um, and more, more than a month. And it's been fine. I've had a great time because for one, you know, I'm, I'm constantly on, on Facebook trying to answer questions. I get about about 200 questions a day, either through the Facebook group, through instant messages, through you know, Instagram, through all kinds of different ways. Um, so it's actually gave me a chance to sit and actually answer questions as opposed to doing it on the run. But I've actually had a chance to kind of retool what we do in dentistry as far as how we answer these questions. How do we do these conferences? How do we, you know, how do we interact with the people who are seeking that kind of help? You know, and typically I'll, I'll just have a quick answer like, Hey, call, call Teresa, by us, you know, but now I could sit down and say, yeah, here's what I would do. And if you really need more information, this is where you should go. Here's the website. Here's the link. So I can get a little deeper with that kind of stuff. But it's, it's gave me a chance to actually retool and, and think about the future of where we are going to be and in, in, in the dental help world. So you already had the group fairly well organized. Uh, so for those of you who haven't been there, I, even if you're not an EagleSoft user, I should just preface that. Even if you're not an EagleSoft user, there's a ton of information in there because it's dentistry. It's just all about dentistry. And the same questions that Dentrix users will have, will have over here, same thing for CareStack, all of that. So it will it will apply to you, just the keystrokes won't. So it's just a valuable group now. But you had it organized into units. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't play around with those until till the quarantine happened, I have to be honest. <laughs> and then I was like, holy, this is like amazing. So um, it tell me, the, walk, walk me through your thought process and how you organize the units. And if I'm a new person coming to your group, where, where do I start? Where do I go first? Well, Facebook allows you to set up a group. So if you have a Facebook group, private group like we have, uh, you're able to set it up almost like learning units. So if you, my my youngest son went to did an on, like a cyber school, which now is the big rage, but did a cyber school. And one of the things that was kind of neat, and again, I, I my background is my mom is a was a college professor, having these learning units where you can go in and you can find a topic like insurance, and then you can hit each topic like you know how do I find claim payer IDs or what's the proper way to do this or how do you do this. So we set it up so that each, there's 20 plus units covering insurance, covering set up your, your providers, those kind of things. And then each of those has the topics that we talk about each day in the group. And one of the things that I've done, and this, I don't know if everybody else does this, but I'm kind of OCD about it. But I see in Facebook groups all the time where somebody will ask a question and they'll have a fantastic answer. And then, you know, three days later, somebody will ask the, the same question and not get any good answers because it's already been answered. So I, I wind up taking questions and copying and pasting them so that they're part of that unit so that it makes it easier to find the answer because I know as a recovering front desk person, 
I mean, I've sat at the front desk and I have five minutes to get an answer. And the doctor, you know, says, oh, we're going to be doing sleep studies or we're going to be doing implants and we've never done it before. How do you find the answer to that question quickly without being inundated with typical Facebook answers like, oh, you can't do that or it's illegal to do that or whatever and not having a real good answer? So I've made a, a big effort to move these things into these learning units and they're actually, it's just like, I don't know if you noticed it, but it's just like school. So you can actually, at the end of it, hit done, and it will actually calculate all of the learning units that you've done. It's almost like getting a gold star at the end of the class. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, there's a lot of stuff on there, so they should get a gold star, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, it is, it's interesting because I use the word, um, when I talk about your group, I use the word curated. And you do a really good job of making sure that the information that's there is as accurate to your ability, right? Yeah. Because there, I mean, the other Facebook groups, let's let's be honest, it's kind of the wild, wild west. There's only maybe like three ones where if I go into that group, I know I'm going to get a decent answer. And, you know, yours is one of them, Adam's one of them. And there's a, there's a private group that I'm a part of that I know, you know, if they get drummed out if they give the wrong answer, to be honest. So not even dentistry related. But those two groups really are the ones that I know I can trust what's in there, or at least it gives me a stepping stone to get started. I, you know, the other groups, I'm sure you see it. There's just a lot of weird information floating out around there. And, and what I like about you is that if you don't know the answer, you reach out to people who do. I see you tagging tons of people all the time, you know, um, other consultants and speakers. Now, when you go into these groups, the one thing that I like is reading the historical units, like where you move it to something. And mm -hmm. I, I will scroll back and What's it go back like two years? Sometimes, sometimes the thread's like two years old. So we just hit three years. Wow. Uh, March, April 8th was three years for the group. So it's three years of information there. The thing is there, there've been people in the group who've moved on, uh, who they're, they're either not Eaglesoft users anymore and they've left the group, but their, their answers are still there or their questions are still there. And the best things are when you have a new user who's come into the group and they are you know, hey, I just got hired. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can people help me? And you just see the, the the onslaught of people answering questions and helping. And usually the stories are, you know, I've been there, done that. And I, yeah, I, these are the things that I did first in order to learn how to use what I'm doing now. So it's very helpful because in, in some of the other larger groups that are not moderated at all, like you'll get the first response will be run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not helpful at all to anyone. So uh, now in that group, I was looking through chart notes and documentation. Mm -hmm. This is a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is really good stuff. And, you know, it just reinforces the fact that I give out your information and why I do. But then we got on the call today and you said, oh, I'm working on my book. And and I said, what, what's the book on? And you said, progress notes. And I don't know if you saw, but like I got like all tingly because that's <laughs> like my jam, right? Oh, Documentation yeah. and progress notes. So in three years, have you seen like big, big changes? Like what have you seen? What have you seen in the area of progress notes? Well, it first, it started for me back when everybody started talking about going paperless, you know, and the whole chartless thing. You know, when I started in dentistry, my brother-in-law was the dentist I worked for, and I had no idea what I was doing. So when I came into the office, I didn't realize it because I was just a patient at the time. He had another apartment. We were in an apartment building. He had another apartment in the building that he stored his charts. So we were paying twice the rent just in order to have charts. And I thought, this is ridiculous. We've got to save this money. We've got to get rid of this room. So I started the process of shredding charts. Now, this was, I had no idea what I was doing. And this was before the, all the rules. 
But I started shredding charts and taking that information and duplicating into the into the computer system. Now this is the 80s, you know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. old. So this was the 80s <laughs> and the early 90s. So I started duplicating what was in the chart in the computer. And believe it or not, the way I was doing it was um, using WordPerfect. If you were, oh anybody God. remembers WordPerfect, I was actually typing those progress notes into a WordPerfect document and then saving that document into a folder called, you know, say Teresa Duncan. So every patient had a folder. So that was the way I was, I was actually going chartless back then. The charge that he had for me was, you can't do this unless I can see on the computer what I can see in my paper. And that was my charge. Luckily, one of his buddies was a Navy dentist. And he had these big giant rubber stamps that you stamped uh, into the chart and you were able to fill in the blanks. And yes. I thought, this is fantastic. This is a great way to do it. So I mimicked that in the computer. That was my that was the beginning of how I started doing charts. And I would go to other offices and I would teach them. And you know, back then, I'm sure you've seen these charts. It's three line items. It says exam four bite wings profi. And then the next <laughs> yes. one is an exam four bite wings profi. And then the next line was DO 18. And it was scare me to death. And I started actually creating these chart notes and showing doctors how to write. And of course they would say, well, that's what we learned in school. This is nothing new. And I would think, but how come you're not doing it now? Right. <laughs> so, that's always the big question though, right? Like, why did you stop doing what you knew was right? It's scary to think about what I, I've, I've seen and you know, I could say very recently seen in charts and what we know is correct. So it's 30 years of trying to of just putting together what, what's correct in a process. Well, I remember reading uh, a couple of days ago, there was a dentist talking about how he's still fully paper and he'll never switch to digital. And I just thought, wow, I thought we were past that. Like how, how dinosaurish is this guy? But the fact that he was adamant, not the fact that he couldn't do it. There's a lot of doctors that want to do it and they just don't know how. And that's where people like you and Dana come in. But this guy was like, no, I'm absolutely not doing it. It made life so much easier. Right. And it really, I think in, in a court of law, if he, God forbid you ever get called up, that's going to look a lot better than this chicken scratch that we typically had seen in there. And, and listeners, if you have not listened to the episode with Beverly Wilburn, she used to be an expert witness. Actually, she still is in, in malpractice cases. And she gives some really good insight on what documentation should look like. And for you younger listeners out there, because Andre and I have been in this for a while, for you younger listeners out there, Andre's absolutely right. When we would open up the charts, we would just see, you know, bite wings, exam, cleaning, and there would be no nothing about perio, nothing about anything really. And in the older, older charts, you would just see a dollar amount in the corner. And we did our accounting right there in the paper chart. Do you remember? You've seen those. Oh yeah. Sure. Progress notes were, yeah. Yeah. Progress yes. notes included a line item. That was the, was the uh, fee for the procedure. Yeah. Right. So we really didn't include anything, no materials, nothing. So, you know, for us, Older people were like, wow, this has really come a long ways. And now we see people almost over-documenting. I don't think that's a bad thing, but there are times when you can spend, if you're spending a half hour on a progress note, though, that, don't you think that's a problem? Yeah. And, and I think we've also, we've elevated a lot of dentistry into medicine. And we have a lot of doctors who were doing, um, you know, I, the office I worked at, we did IV sedation. So there was a lot of documentation. We have a lot of doctors now who are doing surgical procedures. Um, they're doing sinus lifts in the office. They're placing implant. The documentation should be there. 
there's a line in the sand between too much and not enough. But, you know, I, I'd love to be on the side with too much if I'm going to court. Oh, for sure. The for last sure. time I had jury duty, funny that they kept me on as, you know, with my background, but turned out that the whole case hinged on uh, progress notes. Really? And uh, the, the, this was a OBGYN case and the doctor had uh, written notes on a post-it and it came down to the post-it was fine as part of the documentation. But what the plaintiff attorney found out was that the post-it was on a prescription, like imagine Loratab or something like that, but that prescription hadn't come out until after, like five years after the treatment was supposed Ooh. to be written. Ooh, that's some Perry Mason stuff. It right was there. amazing. <laughs> it was, and actually, I we, they canceled the. I mean, they canceled the case, so yeah. I, we were dismissed as a jury. But I actually went and found out some information about it, and actually talked to the plaintiff attorney, and that's how I found oh, it. Oh wow, that's <laughs> wild! And yeah. I, I prop, I just re- realized that some of our listeners don't know who Perry Mason is. So. Uh. <laughs> I, I say that all the time. I see Marcus Welby in my speeches and I, in my seminars, and people just glaze over. Yeah, I know, I know. So. <laughs> One day we'll just retire and go out into the sun like good dental consultants should do, right? <laughs> okay, so I let's can we backtrack to the medical billing part? So there's a the standard for medical notes is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain what if somebody's starting to do medical billing, which I don't teach again, don't call me people. Right. When you start doing medical billing, what is the big change that people don't expect in the progress notes? There's a lot. Of, and and I, I'll tell you this, every time somebody asks me a question about medical billing, the first thing I say is, here's the, the page. I won't say anything about it because I knew nothing about it. <laughs> in the practice I worked in, we did a TMJ work. We did a lot of accident work. We did it. I had a doctor who did a lot of, of surgery. We never built to medical. I never got paid as a, as a front desk person. It just didn't make sense for me to build to medical. So I don't. But in the documentation, diagnosis is, is more important than anything else. Procedure is more important than it is. I, I have a good friend who's a, a, a physician, and he says the difference between dentistry and medicine is in medicine, we bill for the procedure. In dentistry, we bill for the parts. So in dentistry, you bill for the crown. In medicine, you'd bill for the treatment to replace the tooth structure. And that's the difference. It's a time that it took. It's the procedure it took to, to make this crown, not the crown itself. And yeah, we, we want to say that that's what we bill for in dentistry, but the line item is the crown. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and in medical, I mean, there it's yeah. a description, right? So in a lot of our CDT codes really did come up. They started out as billing codes. I mean, really, that's that's what they were designed for. They're not only billing codes now. They are much more than that now. But there was a time when a crown was a crown was a crown. Do you remember that? That's it. And now there's, you know, titanium crowns, plastic crowns, aluminum crown, whatever yeah. kind of crown you want. And, and you have to be up on that. So the other part, too, with medical billing is I see a lot of people kind of using that as a revenue stream rather than instead of. I guess, and I don't want to say this indelicately because I don't mean that people are being shady about it. That's not what I mean. But I think there's a lot of hope that we can get like thousands of dollars from a medical claim when it's probably not going to happen. So I think a lot of people get discouraged unrightly or not rightly so, because I think you can get paid well. You just need to take a good class on it. So, and for me, you know, like I said, when we did TMJ treatment, it, we actually got more when we, 
we had a, a realistic pricing for, a, you know, say a, a guard to, to or an appliance. Patient pays for it. They pay for it out of pocket. And if they want to submit it to their insurance, here's the paperwork. Go for it. It was so much easier for us to do that than anything else. It's almost like playing the game with adult ortho. You know, they either have it or they don't. It's 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 that simple. So I kind of stay away from that field. I've got good friends who who can help with that. And I, I'll be happy to refer people that way too. But again, I like to stay in the pond that I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear you. Well, let's let's go back to your previous pond though. When you were a, uh, a front office person, what was your favorite part of the job? Code. My first, I'll tell you, because when I came into the dental field, again, I had no idea. And I just assumed that I was supposed to read all the books on the shelf. The first books that I read uh, were, there was a Bascar book on perio treatment. There was Tom Lamoli Sr.'s book on periodontal coding there. And I got to meet Lamoli Sr. And I got to meet Lamoli. So I got, you know, there were all these, the books that I just read cover to cover because I assumed that I needed to learn it. The uh, CDT, and I, it was I may have been CDT two or something like that back then. I don't even remember how long ago. But I I read those books cover to cover, so coding was for me a big deal, because I had a, a dentist who would walk from the back and say, "Hey, we just did an ocular prosthetic. What's the code for it?" I mean, not that he ever did that one, but he would come up with these things, and I had no idea how to code for it. So it it almost became for me like name that tune. I wanted to be able to quickly know that code and understand it. So for me, understanding insurance, knowing, you know, reading the entire back of the original claim form and knowing what all those clauses meant was for me like playing chess. <laughs> you know, when you know how to play chess well, you can yes. beat the opponent just by knowing the rules and understanding ahead of time. So that was my favorite part of it. I do miss the interaction over the counter with the patients. That's the one thing I know I could never sit at the front desk for an eight hour day again. <laughs> right. No, for sure. I couldn't do it at all, but no. I do miss some of our, my favorite patients. And I think of them often, some of them have passed away, but you know, it's, it, that was a fun time when it was, you weren't rushed at the front, you were talking, there was a connection, you know? So, yeah. So do you remember one of your favorite patients without breaking HIPAA? Do you remember one of your favorite patients? I remember almost all of them. And it's funny because, um, I, I, Recently, I've run into patients in the mall. Now, this is probably going about about 10 years, but I had a patient who came up to me in the mall and she said, I know I haven't been in for my checkup and I know I still owe you a few dollars, but I'll be in soon. And I'm thinking to myself, the office is long closed. The, the doctor's passed away. If you owed us any money or haven't been in, don't worry about it. Please this find another great. Dentist. This but, is great. You're already like, you're still giving guilt, like without even being there. Yeah. <laughs> I had a sign on my desk that I had my sons write out and it was done like with finger painting and stuff like that. And it said, if you break your appointment, my dad will lose his job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, you know, to today, I still use that as my way of helping to break, uh, to get offices to stop misappointments. But patients remembered it. Patients would call me and say, I, you know, I, my husband's not feeling well. I've got to stay home, but I don't want you to get fired. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> but it worked, but I had a relationship, you know, and I think every, every front desk person has this, every office manager, every, everybody on the admin team, we have relationships with patients that's different than the clinical team does. Right. 
I, I cherished that, I, you know, and I thought it was great. Um, but, it, you know, we were the people who were looking for the money. So it was a different kind of dynamic. They were the people in the back who, you know, took care of pain. And we're the kind of people that caused pain. Yes. <laughs> you know, but in the end, I think it was, a, you know, I, I really do miss it. It was a great time. I really appreciated how much more simple it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And I mean, we both know how difficult it is now to be an insurance coordinator. I mean, you pretty much, if you don't read a book cover to cover on code, you're you're dead in the water. I mean, you have to do it at this at this point in time. So, you know, the CDT guidebook, the CDT companion, Dr. Blair's book. I mean, there's just so many good resources out there, and any really good insurance coordinator is seeking that out. Like honestly, the real insurance geeks. When you were talking about you know looking at the CDT code, you, some of you driving right now are like, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. So, and, and it is it is a small group of people who are proud to be insurance nerds. But I'll be honest, they're sitting in my classes. They're sitting in your classes. They're proud now. They're really. It's we're really kind of coming into our own as insurance coordinators and insurance geeks, right? <laughs> it's the equivalent of people who who watch and follow baseball and they can tell you, you know, hitting averages and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, once you know it, you know it and it becomes it becomes a pleasure to to be able to know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you are dealing with new dentists, because you deal with new dentist managers, you deal with all of them, right? Sure. When you're dealing with a new dentist and they say to you, what's the first part of EagleSoft I should learn or any software? Where do you point them? My favorite part is the chart. I think the chart is like the GPS in your car. It tells you where you're going. It tells you, now if you're using Waze, it tells you where the speed bumps and speed traps are. (laughs) It becomes the center of the world for you if you're using it correctly. The four parts of of my business are uh, people, process, profitability, and philosophy. So I go, tell me about the way you do dentistry, all right? And tell me what that's based on philosophy. And then let's talk about processes. What do you do in the office? Do you do implants? Do you do endo? That kind of stuff, all right? And then let's look at the people who do those things. Who are your people who are entering the data for you? Who are the people chair side? Who are the, you know? And then lastly, let's see, how can we do this and make it profitable? So I start with the chart because that tells us everything we need to know. Is this office doing sleep? Is this office doing um, ortho? Then we can sort of work backwards from that sort of field of view and narrow it and narrow it and narrow it so that my goal is if you look at the odonograph, if you look at the chart, you should be able to see everything you know about that patient from start to finish. And if we can build systems in place so that the hygiene knows what it looks like, associate doctors know what it looks like. And you know, for me, I've got a 26 operatory practice that I work with. They've gotten so consistent that from doctor to doctor, to hygiene, to hygiene, to assistant, to assistant, you can walk in the room and tell the story of the patient from that mm-hmm. odonograph. Interesting. No notes needed. Nothing needs to be done because of the colors in the chart, because of the drawings in the chart. So that's where I focus. And working backwards from that that point means that the admin team can treatment plan quicker, can bill quicker and easier. Um, it's so clearer when the odontograph is done properly. So I have a question for you. When I, I I'm not consulting anymore, but when I was, we I would run into this all the time. There would be, of course, uh, offices with more than one provider, and inevitably the one provider would want his template to look one way, and another one would want it to look this way for her. And I always wanted one uniform template for the office. 
but you know, I pick and choose my battle. So mm-hmm. as long as it's a complete template, do you have an opinion on provider specific templates or would you rather see one for the office? I believe in the Henry Ford method of any color you want, as long as it's black. Okay. <laughs> I prefer that, you know, and this is what I would do when I go, would go into offices, I would set it up the Andre way and then they can modify it based on their wants and needs. Because I also know in, in years of doing this, you know, my, my work outside of dentistry is in, in a personal development and team building. So I realized that at this point in my life, it is very, very difficult to change people. So what I would say is let's create a template that, let's just say for a crown prep, let's create that template. But Dr. A typically doesn't place cord. Dr. B does place cord. So there's going to be some changes there, but the flow and format of that note should be the same. We need to know chief complaint. We need to know anesthetics. We need to know this. There's a process that we need to go through, but each doctor might have a little different, but my hope is that in the end, it reads the same way and it flows the same way and the information is stored correctly. But yeah, um, I, I don't, at this point in my life, I don't push hard for one way because I realize if I do, you're going to make somebody miserable. Yeah. Well, and, and another thing too, the, the way I, I mean, you train I, very much similar to how I was consulting. I'm not long-term, you're not long-term, you go in and you fix. And I don't want to put something into place that is going to be miserable for them when I leave, because I don't have to be around to make them accountable for it. But, you know, I did push a little bit for, Hey, let's, like you said, all, all the colors, all the colors are black. And, and I would get significant pushback. And it's usually from the older dentist because change is hard, like you said. And uh, I have a special place in my heart for the older dentists I work with, because once they saw the light, it was like a whole new way of charting and they were very excited about it. And I think too, uh, and I'm curious to see how you train this. I really love watching the light bulbs go off when they realized how much they could utilize the assistant for their documentation. Is is that something they're ready to do when you come in or are they already doing it? I think they are now. And I okay. think what's happened is, and again, we'll, let's, let's make two categories of, of people. And let's say people have been doing this for a long time and people who are new to doing this. So if you've been doing this for a long time, doing dentistry for a long time, you have been doing a lot of chair side work with your patients and not dealing with the, the, you know, the computer part of it. So it's great to abdicate that information to have somebody else do that. Okay. But what I, and one of the things that I love about when I write notes now is once I find out how that doctor likes to do things, I've done it, then we, we can do it my way. I like writing the procedural notes as an assistant. I'm going to write how many carps of Lido that we use, what the shade was, which lab we're sending this to, did we place cord or not? And I'm done. That note's in the system, locked in, done. Let the doctors then come back and write a comment about that procedure. And they could write the, you know, what the patient, you know, how the patient tolerated treatment, those kind of things. Talk about some of the ways that the shade was a through A2 shading, uh, blending up to A3, whatever. They can write comments about it as a secondary note or an addendum to the note, which actually, from a legal standpoint, is actually a better thing than modifying the, the note that was written by the system. So I like doing that. And I realize that that works better for so, some doctors. They want to go back to their office. They want to sit down. They want to review it. And that works really well for a lot of doctors. But again, if you're a new doc and you're used to doing that, and especially if you've just graduated school and you're, you've been doing your notes uh, c- contemporary to the procedure, let them do it. 
and then train them that way when when you get a good competent assistant you start getting busier and having them utilize it so it, andre said something really important which is uh it's legal wise it is much better to have have an add-on to the note rather than going in and changing it so i just wanted to make sure that that didn't that didn't skip past anyone because that is super, super important when it comes. I mean, that's the whole reason we do these progress notes, right? Is to make sure we can replicate the health of the patient and then also defend ourselves too. Do not go in and change any notes, always just add on to it. And if you were wrong with documentation, an addendum is much better and it holds up much better in court. Um, have you been with any offices that have had to go through and defend themselves with with your progress notes that you've set up? Have you had any feedback on it? Not with my progress notes, but with progress notes in general, I've, I've worked with a bunch of offices on that. Typically what happens is these things go to arbitration. I think the, the last half dozen things that I've had to sit on um, have been more about diagnosis than they have been, have been about the actual treatment. People, and it's typically perio. It's, it's periodiagnosis that wasn't documented. It's almost painful when I have to go through this with them because the treatment was done and the treatment was done properly, but the documentation didn't match the treatment. Yeah, and that's, that's what I typically say. And they're dead in the water. I mean, oh, there, yeah. there's no, the, your lawyer won't even take the case. They'll just say we're settling and there yep. it is. And that's why it gets to arbitration and not, not into court, which is, which is a good thing for the doctors. Right. Yeah. Cause it's a lot of times then their name isn't blasted out everywhere. So now let's talk about the, um, the AAP guidelines because bringing up peria, which is of course, one of the most litigious areas, is it still the most or is it implants? I can't remember. Well, but they, they say it's the most, but I think where you see actual settlements and you see financial are on the implant extraction side. Mm, okay. I think you see a lot more settlements happening on the perio side where nobody ever knows it ever happened. Yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting. And again, last episode with Beverly, she works in a perio office. So you know Beverly, don't you? I think you do. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So let's move on to the AAP have your progress notes changed to incorporate the new guidelines. Yes. What does that look like? Well, the, the biggest part of that was, you know, and, and be, because I, I, I've run this stat check program for Perio, I've been trying to get offices to document Perio for years. It changed because of the new guidelines, the new um, staging of Perio. Yeah. That's been great. And it's actually helped a lot. Um, and now with the 4346 code, I think you see a lot more hygienists who are a lot more conscious of, of noting things as general, specific you know, that's, that's helped a great deal. And it, it wasn't by uh, my hand that happened. I think patients, I mean, patients, but I think providers realized that they needed to document those things in order to be able to get paid. So I think financially it backed ended to the, the notes happening. So yeah, my notes have changed recently for those, for the changes in the AP uh, guidelines, but I think everybody was ready for it. So if you had your way, and I know we're, neither of us are clinicians, if you had your way, how often would you be taking intraoral images? Every time the patient walked in the door. <laughs> Before they even got seated, just like take a picture, right? No, I'm you kidding. <laughs> and it, that goes back to, I mean, for years, I, you know, I was the guy who would come into your office to show you or, tr or train you on an intraoral camera, you know, back to the old, uh, you know, Apollo fiber optic cameras. So I'm huge on having cameras. And I think one of the things is we've used them as marketing tools, 
but for diagnostics, I think it's great. And it, you know, it's interesting with this, what we're going through right now with uh, teledentistry and how cameras are becoming part of that. But I love in my typical setup, I have a FMP, which is my full mouth photo. Um, I think diagnostic imaging is such a great tool. The problem is I think dentistry goes through this cycle of we've got to get more patients in quickly, which then the, the diagnostic stuff slows down. And then we realize, oh no, we want to pull back and do more comprehensive care. It cycles through, through things. So I'd love to see more imaging done. I'd love to see people get compensated for it. But I think where we are now is I've seen more and more people take pan and four bite wings as opposed to a full series. I see less and less uh, imaging happening or the imaging is just for cosmetic reasons. And it's a push and pull. I I'd love to see more. And I'd love to see more uh, people take the images that they need because we know from a financial side, if you don't have some images, you might not get some money. Yeah. Absolutely. And doctors, you, I mean, that's, that's super important. It, a lot of times we can get our claims paid with an, a really good intro image. Sometimes the radiograph is absolutely no help at all. Exactly. So, yeah. So I need those images. Andre needs the images. Your insurance coordinator needs them. Uh, and I know that it interrupts the workflow. Believe me, I was an assistant way back when I know it does, but it is what it is. And it's also never mind the reimbursement. It's part of your record. I mean, that's, that's a good, good part of your record to have. Now you brought up the teledentistry, mm -hmm. so I am I am very curious to see how this plays out. I, I'm excited about it. There's a lot of uh, people who who think it's kind of a money grab, but my position is that we're not going to make a ton of money on this. I just see this as a really good way to communicate with our patients. I don't. I'm not sure. I I, I see what the big devil in the details is. I mean, it just. Let me show you here. Okay. Here's my crystal ball. Okay. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> I mark my words. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to bill for the tele, the teledentistry code and we're going to bill for 140 for an emergency exam. Dentist will get paid for the 140. They're not going to get paid for the teledentistry code. And then when we get back to normal treatment of patients, we're going to have a lot of angry patients who, when it comes time for their checkups, are going to be very angry that the doctor charged them for a phone call. Because that's, I mean, and I'm putting that in air quotes because that's yeah. really what's in it. And that's the thing though. It shouldn't be just a phone call. Like I, right. like I, I have an issue with that. I heard somebody was charging $150 for a phone consultation. I thought yeah. this is insane. So I agree with you on the phone call, but if somebody does like a, a real look in the mouth and keeps them out of the ER, I, I, I don't have an issue with that. Oh, I don't either. My biggest concern is, like you said, I think a lot of people looked at this we're in a financial crunch right now. And I thought, I think a lot of people looked at this is, this is going to supplement my income. And I, I think what you really, what you don't realize is this is a bridge of customer service to get your patients into the office in the fall for their normal checkups. This is, you know, I'm, I, again, I'm a big Disney guy. This is when you book your, your vacation at Disney and they send you the bracelets this is getting that momentum going in your kids so that they are just thinking Disney, Disney, Disney the whole time until you get there. This is a bridge to get our patients to, to not look for another doctor because I've seen this a lot where patients, this might not be timely when we finally get around to talking about this, but I see a lot of offices who've posted that they're closed. And if my doctor said that they were closed, I would seek urgent care or something like that, instead of saying, we're not available for anything other than emergency care. 
And then I'd call my doctor and I'd do a tele dentistry call and, you know, he could tell me, hey, Andre, you know, your crown's off, you know, use Fixident until you can come in or whatever. And I'd be perfectly happy with that kind of transaction. But to say you're closed, I might seek another dentist. And that's just bad customer service. It is. It is. And and again, you know, I, I talk about this in classes. We, as an industry, make it really hard to be our patients. You know, that this is one way of reducing that friction between us and the patient. And if we can bridge that, I, and, you know, I don't, I, I think teledentistry just has a bad name right now because of the timing of this. Yeah. And then Smile Direct Club really screwed us over because they kind of appropriated that yeah. term. And it, and it really was a it's a bastardization of that term is what that is. So it's not, it's not bad science out there. I think that there's nope. a place in it. And as an industry, I think we are behind because medicine has been doing this for, Oh my gosh, yeah. an awful long time. And in fact, my, uh, the manager of the physician's office that I go to, you know, I talk to him all the time about stuff and, and he's like, are you guys really like not doing this? Like, why would you not do this? And I mean, he's, he was asking me that like two years ago. My so, 91 year old mother has tele, you know, telemedicine calls on a regular basis because it doesn't make sense to bring her out of the house and it, it works really well for her to stay in contact with her physician. So I think it's a great tool that we have to learn how to better utilize. It would also, I think in a lot of cases, keep in our normal day-to-day -day work, keep a lot of patients out of the office who really don't really need to come in. It gets us another touch point where we could have a, you know, doctors could have a full day where they're just in teleconferences and doing consultations and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do cool. know, I do know dentists that are doing that, you know, half a day and they were doing this beforehand. They were calling it, you know, cosmetic consults and there's nothing wrong with that. They didn't charge, but that is a form of teledentistry, but they always were able to get a patient to either come in or at least they get a, a, a can I call you back later to, you know, see what's going on with that. And that is again, just that, that patient relationship is still going on, even though the patient's not right in front of you. So I, I just think I, I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, COVID has really turned everything upside down. This is the one thing that I think just kind of, it got jump started with this. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you were just saying, you know, the assistant having to make the notes and all that, and, and there was, now we see that we need to get busy and there's a time crunch and all that. With all of the new infection control, are you seeing in the, in the forum, in your Facebook group, are you seeing that people are looking to add on more time to appointments? We, you know, we typically talk about the five minutes to break down, five minutes to set up for the next patient, that kind of thing. You know, I, I think that's got to be extended. And again, as somebody who's been around for a long time, I remember going through the HIV AIDS epidemic and realizing what we needed to do there and, and overstating what we would do as far as keeping the office clean. I think that's going to be something we're going to have to go back to. You know, some, patient, some patients could care less, but there are going to be a great number of patients who are going to hear stories and want to know about aerosols. They're going to want to know about how the office is cleaned. Um, and I think... We do need to add a little bit more time to that, but I think dentistry, we needed to add a little bit more time to our visits anyway. I'm a huge proponent of a 60 minute appointment as a minimum when I'm talking hygiene appointment. And I think we're throwing a lot at hygienist when it comes to what they have to do. And the other thing is, I think this is also an opportunity to look at other responsibilities in the office. I love offices that have a, not assisted hygiene, but assistance for hygiene who are able to help break down and set up the chair, who help them with taking imaging, who do those kind of things. And I think that's another, another avenue to look at is, you know, I'd love to have 
some young kids who can come into the office, you know, we're teaching them a, tra a trade. We're getting them to think about this as a profession. So we get some kids into the office who we can teach them how to do sterilization. We can teach them how to break down and set up an, an operatory, but also teaching them as we go so that they become our next wave of EFTAs, hygienist, dental assist, I mean, doctors, whatever going forward. I think this is a great opportunity to look at that and, and rethink the way that we bring in people. It's a really good position for, say, an intern at a dental assisting school or somebody, like you said, coming out of high school. But having a sterilization assistant was something is something that some clinics have. And, you know, depending on your financial situation, that may actually make a lot of sense now with all of the new infection control that we're going to have to do. Um, you know, I don't really want to have my hygienist and my EFTA spending time sterilizing when they could be on to the next appointment if we have, of course, the operatories to do that. Sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be very, very interesting. And, you know, the financial crunch is real. I'm, I'm a little nervous for our industry. We're going to bounce back. But I remember like you do the HIV. I remember the, the, the recession that happened before. Yeah, 2008. So we've been around the block with this. This is a little bit worse than what we've seen. But I think we're going to bounce back. And I think, you know, one of the offices I was talking with this week, they were talking about just adding an extra hour every day to the normal workday in order to compensate for the amount of people who they've had to put on hold for recare. And I think that's what we're going to do. And I, I the, the problem is our dentists, our hygienists, our providers really, I mean, they really get beat up during a day. It's Absolutely. a hard job. It really is. And, you know, to compensate for the losses over the last couple of months, it's going to be tough, but I think, like you said, I think we're going to bounce back. I think 2020, if we get back mid-2020, if we get back, let's say June, the last half of, of the year is going to be tough. But I think from a financial standpoint, we may recover very well. 2021 should be very good is in my, you know, my crystal ball. But I think we do have to rethink we do, the way we do dentistry. And we do have to think about how we approach patients holistically. And I'm, I'm not saying that from a treatment standpoint, but I'm talking about we see patients differently uh, because just like what we hear a lot of doctors talking about, you know, we're the front line, we should be able to do some of those diagnostics on, on, on uh, COVID. Yeah. We can do a lot of that. Right. I'm actually, and I hate to say it, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I really am surprised that the media hasn't picked up on just how how dangerous our jobs are with respect to aerosols. So hopefully that never makes its way to the media and they don't pick up on that because that isn't what we need. We don't need a scare. I mean, we remember the Bergalis scare with HIV and, you know, HIV was, had lots of awareness, but we got fr put front and center with all of that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll link an article to that in the show notes, if you're not familiar with the Kimberly Bergalis and, and her impact and David White and right. their impact on um, infection control. And in fact, my, my old boss's dad was the no gloves, no mask type dude. And, you know, would take out a tooth and toss it in the, the sink across the room. And I mean, God love him. But when we had to start wearing gloves, it was, I mean, you would have thought you cut off his arm. You know, so <laughs> instruments and yeah, it, yeah, it, it's amazing how far we've come. And now to hear that we're going to be using, you know, the N95 mask and that kind of stuff, you know, for me, I, I have a whole lot of offices who are, you know, we'll call them holistic or, you know, that kind of stuff. There are all kinds of terms for that, who were doing this already. And dentistry was a norm. I mean, that dentistry that way was normal. Um, so 
to me, it's just another layer of PPE. It's, an, you know, when I see uh, one of my doctors who works for me is in Sao Paulo, Brazil, the way I see her suit up to do treatment. I mean, she's in surgery this, and she's dressed as if she's going into an operating room and that's normal. And I, yes, I know a lot of our doctors don't have to deal with the OSHA laws because they don't, they don't fall into OSHA rules, but I still see hygienists you know, carrying trays of instruments with their bare hands. And I yes. think, oh my God, why would you do that? Yeah. So I get it. <laughs> but at the same time, I think this is a is a, a wake up call. But I think just like we dealt with in the AIDS HIV um, issues, I think our patients are going to call us to task on it. Yes. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I, I, I think anybody who's looking to go back and they're looking at their schedule right now, I think you have to add extra time. Don't be surprised by that. And I think to be careful of burning out because I think they're going to be running around like crazy. Those N95 masks are hot. They are really hot to wear. I mean, I've worn them just working in like the garage or the roof or whatever when we had work to do years ago at the house. And I remember going, oh, I can't believe we have to wear this. It's very uncomfortable and hot. I mean, I guess you get used to it, but don't burn out because, and like you said, it's going to be really hard on the body and running around like crazy, especially after, you know, if you sat on the couch watching Tiger King for a while, you, 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 those muscles, you're used to are probably not, uh, they're, they're on vacation too. Right. So, (laughs) and that's like, for, for me, my goal is to make it so that the software, the practice management side of things is seamless, you know, and I, I, I hear people all the time talking about how long it takes them to estimate insurance or whatever. And I think, well, why are you doing that? You know, when the computer, if you set it up once, the computer does that for you. So, and when you see it, I'm sure all the time you go into an office and there's a binder and it's got all the fee schedules in it. And every time they walk out a patient, they've got to take that binder out and they've got to do the math. And I go, you've got this $10,000 calculator sitting on your desk. Why didn't you use that? <laughs> I, I tell you, and it, it, when I hear, if I have to hear one more insurance coordinator come up to me and say, well, my doctor doesn't want to use fee schedules or doesn't want to use the coverage books. And I just go, oh my gosh, like you're, you're like, why don't you just put a blindfold on? I mean, really? Because <laughs> that's, that's how you're estimating. And no patient wants to watch you do chicken scratch math right in front of them. Nobody wants to see that. Right. So that breeds a lot of confidence, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I hope she knows what she's doing, you know? So, okay. So when, let's talk about the meeting industry real quick, because that kind of leads into, I want to make sure people know that you are you know, available for help because this is what you've done for years, but the meeting industry is going to be different, right? Do you anticipate doing less in-person and more webinar virtual trainings? Oh yeah. I I think the, uh, the dental meeting uh, era is pretty much over. I foresee having some, if so, they're going to be more breakout groups where there'll be small breakouts of, again, maybe 50 people or less. Uh, but I think the industry for meeting planners and these big events is going to be it's going to be a completely different animal, which I miss because I love big big seminars. I mean, to me, if I get a thousand people in a room, I'm I'm in heaven. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but I think virtual is going to be a, a new way to go. I think the opportunities are fantastic going forward. But this is one of those things where I, I know when I've done webinars midday and we're talking normal work weeks, five or 10, 15, 20 people show up. It's tough because that means you're going to have to do more and more of that kind of thing. But um, I think online education is going to be very interting. And I think, again, taking an Eaglesoft field guide and digitizing that 
making it more learning opportunities that way. I think that is going to be a, a great opportunity. But I think we've also seen that even in colleges. I've taken courses through Princeton, you know, I, in Princeton Theological Seminary, not Princeton University. But, you know, I, th there are some great courses that I've taken that are for credit or for not, you know, but I think that's where we're going to see dentistry going. Yeah, well, my son is home from college. You know, he's he's in college still, but he's in his room. <laughs> he's learning online. It's a whole new world for them. And I think all these free webinars that are being given now, I think what it's done is it's opened up people's eyes that they can learn more. They don't have to wait for their dentist to send them to a CE. You know, they can get that all on their own. And then the double-edged sword is if you have somebody in your office that isn't up on stuff, and they're not motivated to learn, look how easy it is to jump on some of these free webinars that are going to be around for a while. The recordings are going to be around for a while. If you have somebody in your office that didn't watch one webinar the whole time they were gone, like, I don't even know what to do with that person. I would find a way to not have that person back in the office, I think, honestly, because that they would could be bother successful me. someplace else. Right, exactly. Let's rehome you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, this is, uh, it's honestly been uh, amazing uh, that I've had so many of the doctors who I've worked with over the years reach out and say, hey, my people are at home, but I'm going to pay for them to do an hour with you. I'm going to pay for them to do an hour with you every couple of weeks until we get back to work. Because I don't want them to lose that edge. And I, you know, this is a great time to learn. So let's dial into the, the office computer. Let's do this online education so that we can learn more so that when we're back, we're ready to rock and roll. Let's do these fee schedules. Let's do all this stuff right now. And you talked about digitizing the field guide, but your first step is this progress. Well, you've been doing it for a while, but the, the progress notes book that's coming out, it's, it's, you said it's going to be an ebook. My, my original goal was to create this online book where it never got old. So as things change, because you figure every year our coding changes, you know, and every year materials change and things like that, techniques change. So I thought about doing it as an online book where you never really had to download the book. And again, that, that's my, I don't want you to have a book on the shelf that you never really pick up. So I thought if we did it as an online book, that way the, the people can automatically get it. A good friend of mine who actually writes uh, books on Microsoft, what he did was he created this book that it's a, it's a PDF, but it's constantly updating. So it doesn't matter that, that Microsoft changes, you know, weekly they change what happens with uh, my, uh, Windows 10. This book updates every time. So, the, you know, a chapter where something's changed, it never is old. So that's the way I really wanted to create this so that the, the people who buy the book have life form and it's constantly evolve and, and they always have it. So that's where I've evolved to. And it's hard getting past the publisher for this because they were like, you can't do that. You know, nobody will ever, you know, you won't ever get any residual money. But the idea for me and dentistry for me as a mission is for me to get it out there because I want my the doctors who are the offices that I work with to have a, 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 you know, a database of information. And for me, it's more important for them to have that than for me to have a revenue stream about this. So, you know, that's the way to do it. That pulled back in. So you actually weren't even looking to do revenue stream from this at all. So it's almost, I mean, I, I feel like we got a bonus for the industry when you decide to come back in. And I remember hearing uh, there was somebody that said, well, does he get paid for running that group? And I said, you know what? I asked him that. We did a podcast, remember, a while ago. Yeah. I said, I asked him that. And he said, he really doesn't make a lot of money on the group. And I said, and, and she goes, there's no way. And I said, I'm serious, you know? So 
but it, it is um it is amazing how much work you put into it. and i think if you aren't part of the group and you go over and you see you'll see exactly what i mean i mean it's constantly being updated curated i have no doubt you can keep this progress notes book updated just because you're this is this is your life i mean this is what you do and you're so good at it so uh, i'm excited about that when you when the book goes out uh, please do let me know. And I, well, I'm going to send you a copy because I want to get your input on it be- pre-release. I want to get your input on it. I uh, love it. Love it. And then I want to make sure our listeners uh, hear about it too, because that's going to be, I, I can't imagine a more powerful um, part of your toolbox other than the coding guide. Cause they're going to go hand in hand. So, and uh, I love that you're an insurance nerd. Like I am, I <laughs> suspected and now it's confirmed. So <laughs> uh, do you have any, Closing thoughts for the industry? I mean, in the middle of what we're going through, do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you just want people to know? What I always tell people is this this is the time to, to get back to the basics. And the basics for me are, again, my four Ps, people, process, profitability, and philosophy. This is a great time to look at yourself and to say, what does my practice stand for? Do the people who work for me follow that same idea? And maybe if not, this might be a great time to find the people who do. Are the processes that you use proper, software, coding, whatever, you know, does it work for you? And then profit. This is going to be a time when you realize, you know, I have a lot of doctors who told me that now the office is closed and they don't have this overhead. They're rethinking what profitability looks So get back to those four Ps while we're down. so that We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn. This flew by. I knew that we were going to go about 45 minutes or so, but this like really seriously flew by. So Andre, I want to thank you. You are Uh, like I said, I think you are a bonus for the industry and I appreciate everything that you do. And I thank you. Absolutely. So again, dear listeners, I appreciate the feedback. I've been getting some really funny emails and and some feedback and I always love it and definitely say hi to Andre when you pop in and join his group. But I always, always am very appreciative of the time that you spend with us.